0: welcome to the talent talk with robert walters podcast where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work
1: hello and welcome to talent talks with robert walters i'm andy McLean, a journalist and podcaster based here in sydney australia In this podcast mini-series, we're exploring what diversity, inclusion and equity really means for employers and employees. We're going beyond the slogans and behind the scenes to reveal the real benefits, challenges and solutions in hiring and retaining a diverse workforce. Along the way, you'll hear a range of voices and ideas from all kinds of backgrounds, and in today's episode, I speak with Dane Dugan, who's the Chief Executive of Autism New Zealand. Dane and his colleagues work continuously in the community to deliver thousands of educational programs to increase public understanding of autism. Their focus is very much on empowerment of autistic people and those in their support network and we're delighted to have him on Talent Talks. Joining us for this discussion is Grant Habgood, who's director of Robert Walters Auckland Operations. Now Grant has worked in recruitment for about 15 years and is the proud father of a seven year old son who lives with autism. Grant volunteers on Autism New Zealand's Community Advisory Board. In this episode, the three of us look at autism through the prism of jobs and employment. We bust some myths and misconceptions, we highlight the many strengths that autistic people can bring to the workplace, and we discuss how employers can get the best out of their autistic employees. Here's our discussion. So, uh, Dane, Grant, thanks very much for joining us today. Jane, um, I'd, I'd like to start with you and just ask a, a broad question. When you think about the word diversity, what does that make you think
0: of? It is a very broad question, Andy, and um, thank you for having me today. What, what it makes me think of is more of a mindset in some ways. I feel like as a country, uh, organisations have embraced diversity in terms of cultural diversity and gender diversity within organisations, but they, I still think when we're talking about the disabled community, or, or in our case, the neurodivergent community, uh, we've still got quite a long way to go. And when we look at that, I, I, I feel like it's organizations that make a process fair and accessible for people um, to have, a, have the best crack at getting that job, just like everybody else. So for me, it's reasonable accommodations that can be made within a workplace. Um, and, we, and we'll get to this later on, obviously, but it's things like um, giving people interview questions beforehand, looking at um, how we can make this a, a, the process as accessible as possible to our community, and then within that workforce, when you have diversity in a workforce, whether it be cultural diversity or gender or disability diversity, you're going to have a far richer workplace. So for me, it's having people in an organisation that feel like and they're treated like everybody else at the end of the day, where that is an inclusive environment where it gives the, our, our community a sense of self-worth and it gives our community a whole network of friends and, um, and, and, and fun. how they get to interact <laughs> with it they wouldn't have otherwise possibly done. So for me, that's what diversity and inclusion, I guess, as a follow-on looks like.
1: And how about you, Grant? You work uh, at Robert Walters in the recruitment space. Uh, what do you think of when you think of the word diversity?
2: Yeah, thanks, Andy. And, and you know, nice to speak with you today. And thanks, Dane, for coming along to this as well. I'm glad you went first. It is a very broad uh, question. But look for me, I think it's, um, and to probably return with a very broad answer, I think it what it's what makes each of us unique. Um, and in terms of diversity in the workplace, I think it's about how, an organization can harness that uniqueness. Um, you know, as in, for me as a, as a recruitment leader, uh, the most successful businesses and teams that I've been in charge of have been the most diverse. Um, so once harnessed, I think then it's a question of how it can be used to help with the organization and the individuals involved fulfill their unique potential, um, which is a blatant steal of the, the Robert Walters uh, tagline, but uh, no, I think it, it resonates with me.
1: Absolutely, and today we're, we're we're going to talk specifically um, about the autistic workforce. Uh, so I'm interested, Grant, in the role that you're in, where you you speak to employers all the time. Um, what are some of the misconceptions or myths about autistic candidates that you've heard, um, or that are sort of commonly um, out there? Good question. Um,
2: but you only know you don't know what you don't know, um, and I think unless you've got a member of your final, or you know, you've you've worked with someone in the past uh, who has autism. Uh, you're probably going on some. Pretty big generalizations based on what you've even seen in movies, for example, like The Rain Man and things like that. Um, so, you know, it could be you know highly analytical people, um, socially potentially socially awkward in a lot of situations. Um, so that that can um, obviously work to the detriment of of someone who may have autism and has actually decided to divulge uh, that they are autistic. Um, so, hence why I think we do have a situation a lot of the time where people. Probably, and something we will talk a bit later about, I'm sure, as and probably um, you know, struggle to disclose uh, that they have autism a lot of the time because of that.
0: I was chime in there as well, Andy. I think it is a bit. It goes back to what is diversity as well, and that's taking a very individualized approach to autism and autistic individuals. So, yep, we can put processes and strategies in place, and yep, we can tidy up our recruitment processes to make it fair and equitable for everybody. But at the end of the day, none of us can sit here and say. Dane's going to walk into this job. And if you do A, B, and C, it's going to work. It doesn't work that way. You have to really look at the individual and see what's going to work for them. And grants bang on, those myths and conceptions that you see in movies at times can be helpful, but at times can be harmful. Um, and, and you know, we talk to employers now regularly, and they all think they're going to get someone that's going to change the world or a genius or whatever the case may be. And look, you may, you may get someone who's autistic who will come in and change your organization. But you also may get somebody that wants to sit there and do the filing that no one else wants to do because it's a same thing day in day out. Which for me, I'd really struggle with, but for an autistic adult, it could be the perfect job for them. So I think it's just very, very individualized.
1: And Dane, I'm very conscious that uh, as we've already kind of pointed out, autistic people are just as diverse and different and unique as, as everybody else, right? So it's it's hard to generalize. However, I just wondered if there are any kind of typical strengths that many autistic people uh, might typically bring to their work. Does anything stand out for you?
0: Yeah, there is. And again, this goes back to the last answer. So, challenging the conception of brain man, for example, um, firstly, if you get the environment right for an autistic employee, you're going to have a very loyal employee for a long time. So, if you get it right, um, they will buy into what you're doing in the organization. And as long as they do buy into that, you will have them forever. And as will be far more effective at telling this story, but it's easier to, to keep someone than it is to find someone, right, and cheaper. So there's real benefits for the organisation. When, when we talk about employing an autistic adult, it's not charity. It's a real benefit for that, that organisation. So that's the first point I want to make. Secondly, when you look at what types of jobs, um, things like detail. So there seems to be a, a really uh, big push to get autistic adults into jobs that involve a lot of detail, that the neurotypical, which is, is the term for... The four of us sitting here probably the, the uh, neurotypical mind can't necessarily see what an autistic mind can, and that's 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 in terms of seeing grains of uh, sand move that others wouldn't. And this is in the uh, form of intelligence type work. Grains of sand moving that um, we just won't pick up, but they can. So there's that. Jobs that are routine, so jobs that are the same thing day in day out, can be really really helpful to set up a good environment and a good role for our community. So as I mentioned before, like a a filing clerk or um, someone who scribes doctor notes, those type of things can be a really, really good job. Um, And then then on the other end of that spectrum, being able to find solutions to jobs uh, or to problems quickly and efficiently can be a really strong and effective role for the autistic community as well.
2: And just to add to what Dane, one of the points Dane made about, look, it's not charity. I think that's a really key point for organisations to to keep in mind. Um, because if you were if if you were applying for a job or looking to join a company and you felt, or you were made to feel, that that company was really doing you a favour for bringing you on, how would you feel about it? And, and I think it's no different for someone who might have autism, of course. Um, if you're made to feel that, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're a charity case, as it were, um, you're, you're not going to really feel that included or in, in that organisation. And pre- that organisation, you know, you're probably not going to reach your potential within that company as well.
0: And that goes back to the diversity question as well, Grant, doesn't it? actually Actually buying into what you're doing as an organisation is critical. And that goes from top down and bottom up, everyone yeah. buying into yeah. that. And just one other point is actually long-term memory recall as well, long-term fact recall. So if this is an area of interest for a member of our community, they will remember facts about that particular topic for a very, very long time, which we probably wouldn't. So if it's a job that requires that, if it's a job that requires pattern, if it's a job that requires things you have to remember from ages ago, facts and figures an autistic person can be very effective at those types of roles. As you mentioned at the start though, and as I just want to premise again, we can't generalize. It is very individual. So um, and Grant knows this as well, how we work in this space is very individual. So it's finding the employer, finding the employee, getting that to match, making sure that match works or the job works. And so if you get that right, um, that's a recipe for success.
1: Yeah, that, that's some great um, points in there, guys. And something I might just reflect on myself is I do a lot of work um, with the Cerebral Palsy Alliance in Australia, different issues, if you like. And yet one of the really interesting parallels is, is the problem solving ability that we see in that regard right and it would be I'm sure quite similar in the in the space of autism in the sense that every day people who are autistic or other people who are disabled have to find solutions and uh, and have to overcome obstacles that many of us don't have to encounter what that actually does for many many people is it actually really strengthens that problem solving ability you know there it's like a muscle if you exercise it every day then just imagine how strong that becomes
0: sorry and if I can just chime in there um I think one of the big misconceptions as well is the fact that autistic adults aren't creative, or autistic people aren't creative. It's the complete opposite, absolute opposite. When you, when you put a whole bunch of Lego in front of an autistic child, what they will come up with and what they will make will blow your mind, absolutely blow your mind. And we're actually doing, it's out of the rounds of employment, but we're doing a uh, Lego display at Te Papa this week for autistic children. We're, um, we've given them Lego art, and we didn't give them the instructions on what to build or an example of what to build. And I'm really excited to see what they come back with. This is on Friday. So uh, to, I think one of the biggest sort of myths that would be good to bust is the fact that they aren't creative because they are. They can be very, very creative and can think very differently about situations, problems, issues than you and I can.
2: And that's, yeah, look, and, and I think that that's one of the keys to this conversation as well, isn't it? Because, as Dave mentioned like you know some people that one of the misconceptions is that you're bringing in someone who's going to solve all your problems and going to be able to do you know your yearly financial sheets balance sheets within two hours or something like that not necessarily the case but what we do often find uh, is just the ability to think differently Uh, and going back to that original definition of diversity you know you're you're going to have a much more enriched organization and you're going to be able to solve more complex problems and you're not going to make the same mistakes again and again if you have a diverse workforce in terms of the people think. Uh, I think it's one of the, you know, absolute crucial points in this discussion.
1: If we think about that from an employer's point of view, in a a way we've kind of made a bit of a business case there. My kind of follow-up question there would be then, as an employer going into the jobs market, I'm advertising roles, um, I'm designing, um, you know, job descriptions and and, and JDs and that kind of stuff. How do I make my roles accessible to autistic individuals? How do I make my jobs attractive? to individuals, like how does my recruitment process, for example, make itself accessible to autistic people?
0: I think we can have a whole podcast on this on its own, actually, Andy, to be honest with you. But um, I'll start by saying, firstly, this its probably easy to give you an example, I think in some ways, we're currently working with this very, very large organization. And they're great, they've they've really bought into this and they really want a neurodivergent employment program. So it's amazing. Um, They sent us the job descriptions and I had no idea what the jobs were going to do. I didn't have a clue. I read them and I was like, I have no idea what this is. Um, if you're an autistic person reading that and you didn't understand even one part of that job description, you just throw it away. Or job ad, you just throw it away. So, and, and what we find, I think, in the, in the, in the recruitment processes is, and, and again, Grant's probably far more uh, educated to answer this than me, but people tend to put in everything they think they might need for a job. So they put everything in it. There's all this stuff in there that you might never, ever use for this job. But they want to put it in there just to cover themselves. If an autistic person wants to read that job ad and there's one thing they couldn't do they wouldn't apply whereas again if it was you or I, we see one thing we can't do. you say well i can do 90 percent of this role i'm still going to apply but they don't because they take everything quite literally and that's one of the key points as well as to make sure however you decide to communicate what you're looking for it's very clear what you're looking for it's in there in black and white there's no gray areas and that again back to the previous question, but what that can do is provide real benefits to the the organization in the way that they actually um, talk to all their staff and communicate to all their staff. So we've worked with a really big software development company, and they said that their communication around the whole world, because they have an autism at work program, this is SAP, so this is no secret, improved significantly around the world because of their autism at work program, because they learned they had to communicate very clearly, Um, they couldn't leave gray areas, and that helped everybody. So that's the first thing. Secondly, um, and we are delving into processes here, but when you get to the point of an interview process, um, if you could give the interviews a really, really, really stressful time for the autistic adults. Um, This is probably one of the biggest barriers for them to get into employment. This and not necessarily having the right uh, degree or whatever to do the job, which is somewhat irrelevant because our community tend to be able to pick things up really quickly. So when we talk to people, we talk about, look, if they don't have that necessarily the academic qualification still 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 give them a chance because you know they've probably picked all this stuff up in their own life anyway but the other part of it is give them the interview questions and ask clear questions don't ask open-ended questions a perfect example of that is when you ask someone which is a classic question which i use as well which i try not to now but is what are what are some of your key strengths and if you're an autistic person and even if, if you're just a neurotypical person sitting there you're like okay do they mean am I good at sport? Do they mean, um, can I count to 100 standing on my head? Or, or is it about the role? Or is it about my family? Or is it about... It? And they panic and they shut down. And then they can't answer that question. So the difference between me is I can answer that question, but they won't possibly be able to answer that question because it's not clear. So making those questions clear, um, concise, answer it completely. We actually had a autism clinic. We we're running an autism-specific vaccine clinic. And we got one of our community to speak to the media. And... And she came back after talking to the reporter and she whispered in my ear, she goes, well, she didn't ask very clear questions, did she? Because she answered the questions exactly as she heard them. So this is coming from a reporter that asked ambiguous questions of our community and they answered it directly how it was asked. And that was hilarious to me. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So making sure you get those questions right, giving someone, even if it's just 10 minutes beforehand, giving them a chance to see the questions is going to make it a far more fairer process for our community. Or even if you can avoid interviews altogether, so whether you look at other ways to assess somebody's uh, applicability or someone's suitableness for a role, if you can avoid having an interview, that can be really, really helpful as well. That's a bit of a challenge, and I'm sure that'll be a challenge for Robert Walters and everyone out there because interviews are a big part of this process. But if we can find a way around interviews, it's going to make life a lot easier. Because he's where I could talk about, um, but I'll go to Grant because he probably want to add something there. I imagine.
2: Yeah well look it's you you talk about job descriptions and and how they're ambiguous ambiguous a lot of the time and it is exactly right and i don't know how many times i've read a job description before going into to meet a client and you know it, it doesn't clearly state what the actual project is what the purpose of the job is and what the person needs to do on a daily basis isn't it and it talks talks about you know quite high level big picture things and you know it doesn't actually get to the nitty gritty so i i think as a recruitment industry um, we can certainly do a lot to facilitate that and you know educate uh, our clients on that as well Um, because a job description the first thing we do when we go into a client it's basically you know you you get out the pen and you're asking the client what in this job description can I actually cross off because this is clearly like it's basically a pink unicorn sheet like this is what you're looking for in terms of like the top candidate or the the perfect candidate but we all know the perfect candidate and pink pink unicorns essentially don't exist Um, so the first thing as a recruiter you do is said is you know you're probably knocking off like four or five points etc so where we can really facilitate or make it more comfortable um for people who you know maybe on a neurodiverse side of things is is to basically well just get down to the nitty-gritty why you know beat around the bush and like let's just get down to what are the actual call points that you know you need to perform this job to you know a decent standard
0: and this is, this is why organizations really have to buy into it as well, Grant, I think, because yeah. what you've just described there is essentially a job analysis, isn't it? So what is the actual job? Yeah. And, and that actually can be quite a time-consuming and, and, and somewhat costly exercise at times, so particularly with large, complex organizations. So this yeah. is where it comes down to, again, back to your first question, I think, around what is diversity? And I'll go even further and say, what is inclusion? Inclusion is having that buy-in organization-wide. And sometimes it'll mean putting resources into the process. People have to be aware of that. It's putting resources into the process, but the outcome you get, if you get it right, can be phenomenally successful for your organization. So, yeah, it's, it's, it can be really, really straightforward, but there'll be times where it can be a little bit more complicated as well. Mm.
1: We've talked quite a bit there about recruitment, and there's some really useful and very practical tips, so thank you both for those. Let's think a little bit about retention as well and, and getting the best out of Autistic uh, people in the workplace, uh, Grant, if you think about w- what the signs are that you have an engaged and comfortable person with autism in your organization, like what are the what are the indicators for you
2: Yeah, Liz, and I don't think we've really covered too much yet in this conversation about disclosure. you know I think and this is from the very beginning when you're know, applying to a job, having a job description which is written away. Written in a way um, and articulated in a way, and even specifically says, you know, that an equal opportunity employer and, you know, as in, um, and also in terms of neurodiverse employer, uh, I think for the organization to disclose that very clearly. Um, And then hopefully that means that people who who may need a bit of assistance with an interview process or may need just some understanding in terms of what their specific needs might be. Um, That's a starting point for me, isn't that disclosure piece? Because then an organization can actually do something about it and there's no, um, no surprises. I think probably Dane has a couple of good examples about this himself with his programs at Autism New Zealand. The second thing I would say, it also loops back to, well, every organization should probably try to accommodate everyone, isn't it? It's not just about someone who might be might have autism or ADHD or you know other you know, potential learning disability or anything like that. Is and I think it comes down to an, well, an individual approach on you know what what is going to keep someone an individual uh, happy in a a job and and in a company. Um, you know what I've what I've heard um, when speaking to some of the employment engagement people at Autism New Zealand is sometimes some of the things can be extremely simple. Um just having understanding that, okay, well, understanding why someone might need to go outside for a bit of fresh air every 40 minutes or something like that. Um, and it's not because the person is is slacking off. It's it's just a sensory thing. Um, you know, if they're just going to be in the room or the office the whole day, then you know, it just becomes sensory overload and, and similar in terms of like not using the lunchroom or something like that, you know, oh, this person, you know, if they, if they aren't able, don't feel comfortable disclosing that, well, they might be kind of seen as really antisocial because they don't have their lunch in the, you know, in the lunchroom. And it's, about, that's, again, it's sensory overload is smells and noises going, going, you know, happening all around the person. And that's not a break, you know, that's, that's not going to be relaxing for the person they're going to go back to work even more stressed than they were when they started their break so just keeping those considerations in mind i think uh, uh, are really important Um, and again it can be really simple things where the the desk is and this is something dane was saying the other day Um, you know where the desk is so they're not in front of foot traffic you know so they're not having to have all of these people walk past and you know what do people do when they walk past your desk they say hi you know it's just kind of a natural reflex and that just would throw potentially throw someone who who has autism completely off uh, if they're focusing on a task.
0: And and I think going back to your point, Grant, around disclosure, we do have a couple of examples. Again, we've worked with two or three large organisations and um, one of their biggest concerns always is, okay, well, what happens if we have autistic people or ADHD or neurodivergent people who are already employed here who haven't disclosed it and feel like they're not getting a fair deal now? We always put that on its head and say, isn't that a really, really positive environment when all of a sudden you feel like all your staff are comfortable coming to you and saying I'm autistic or saying I'm ADHD or, or saying, I just need a couple of reasonable accommodations to be able to do my job as effectively as I can. And, and, and what grants described there. And, and yes, we talk about this all the time. It's reasonable accommodations. So we know that you can't change the whole working environment for everybody. We, we are fully aware you can't do that. Like the first thing when we go into a large organization, they say, oh, do you want to come up and see the offices? We're like, no, no, not yet. We can do that later. The first thing we, we just want to do is have a chat to make sure you guys are fully engaged and understand what this is. And if you are, one of the steps in the process is to see where this person might be best suited. But I can't say that to you coming in and depend what the person wants. And their needs are. Um, Grant's point, like some of our people actually can want to be social at times, so they might want to sit next to the kitchen. More likely than not, they probably don't want to, but they may want to. Um, or they drink a lot of water every day and that helps them to be close to the water cooler or whatever, you know, these type of accommodations are reasonably simple, small things that you can do. It's not about knocking walls down. It's not about building up offices if you don't have offices. It's about looking at the environment you currently have and making those small changes. And for me, what does success look like? Success looks like having uh, happy, engaged employees uh, working in your organization that's making a difference. But that's success for everybody. That's not just for our autistic community. That's what success should look like for everyone. So success looks like that. Success looks the same for autistic adults in the workplace as it does for anyone else in the workplace.
1: Just going to throw a question at you guys. We're now working more and more in a kind of hybrid working environment. And and, I'm sure Robert Walters, uh, Grant, you're seeing this all the time. Roles that were traditionally always bricks and mortar, uh, in the workplace, yeah. you refer to the to the to the water cooler a moment, Dame, which is what made me think of this. But if we start to think now about these more fluid jobs where people are working at home mm. some of the time and then sometimes they're in the office, are there any considerations? uh Perhaps I might start with you, Grant. Are there any considerations or factors that um, employers should probably think about when they are supporting their autistic workforce?
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good question, Andy. is I think first of all, it's going back to the point that we've brought up quite a few times is and you treat it like you treat everyone um, or you'd consider you'd have the same considerations like you'd have your whole workforce and that would be you know one key to a successful hybrid work environment is when people are working at home you don't have that visibility it's, it's just making sure people have a platform to be able to reach out to someone if they're not doing okay or or if they're finding something challenging or, you know, in terms of organizational management, if you're a leader of a business, making sure you're, you've got a platform of communication style where you're able to check in and see people are okay. And, you know, they're able to get you know, they're getting on with what they're tasked to do, but not in an overbearing way where they feel that you're, you know, you're micromanaging them or you're, you know, you're not trusting them to get on with their work or something like that. So I would simply say, yeah, I would simply put it down to that as in treat, treat people, you know, the same, um, but just make sure that, you're, you've got those check-in points with people. Yeah, again, we're going back to generalizations a little bit here, but um, for the autistic community, a lot of the time they do like structure. Uh, and when you're working at home, one of the challenges for us all is that you, you don't you don't have that same type of structure. You know, you don't you're not sitting around people. You don't have your manager right there, being able to kind of check in every ten minutes or see how you're doing. Especially if you're new to a job, um, it's it's crucial if you're like you know new in your employment jo- journey to you know feel comfortable that you do it, you're on track and and you're doing the right thing and I think that's really amplified within the autistic community so coming up with a, a system or a way together with the employee um, where they feel they have a bit of structure around their day similar to how they would in, a, in an office environment.
0: Uh, and, and I think um, Grant's right there a lot of again it goes back to the individual again so a lot of our community will be really really comfortable in that environment of working from home primarily particularly up in Auckland now so For a lot of our community, that could be really good. The the hard part might be transitioning them back into the actual office as well. So a lot of it's not around necessarily where they're at now. A lot of it will be what happens when it changes again. So starting to think about that process. Okay, well, well, Dane's coming back tomorrow. What does that look like for Dane? And how how are we going to make that as easy as possible? Should we ask him to only come back two days a week? Because we know he's quite like working from home versus, you know, making other people come back in if that's the case. But again, it's about understanding the person and what's going to get the best result for them and in turn the best result for the organization. We're seeing mixed, mixed feedback about working from home for our community. Grant's right. For a lot of our community, that, that loss of structure can be really quite challenging. But for others, the fact you get to work a, you get to work alone without distraction can be really, really positive as well. And that goes down to the schooling environment right up into employment. So we are seeing that quite a lot now. And there are lots of tools around now that can help with this too. And, and um there's a lot of online tools as well that can help with this uh, and help people with their own executive functioning as well, which is really important in this space. So if you are at home, how does executive functioning look at home versus how does that look like at work? And what what changes can you make? You still have to get up and brush your teeth and clean yourself. At least look somewhat presentable if you're going to have a Zoom meeting like me and my polo and, and, and Grant and his robe. So how do we um, continue to make sure that When somebody who's autistic turns up to a Zoom meeting, meeting, they've got to sort of store the appropriate tire on and stuff like that because they're at home. Those type of things are really important, and there are tools that can help with that. But Grant's right. It's all about, again, it all comes down to the attitude of the organization in that space. I totally agree with Grant.
2: And just lastly, from me on that that point, it's that change of routine, isn't it? Isn't an organization, if they can just really recognize that a change of routine is more likely to throw off Um, someone who has autism I think that's that's your starting point Um, because you if you're constantly you know going back and forth from work to lockdown and it's thrown us all off you know with different levels and and that ambiguity Um, so just having probably a little bit more empathy or you know more consideration um, for what that actually means for someone who may have
0: autism. i said it's been pretty tough for lots of people right but for our community and every facet of life um, and I'm just again I'm just agreeing with Grant said it's about creating certainty so how do you create as much certainty as you possibly can in an uncertain time? What does that look like? It's stepping those processes out. It's giving as much warning as you possibly can. And this will help everybody, right? This, will, I mean, when we first went into our lockdown, we went into our mode of communication and we were quite effective. Our staff told us it was great. We, we just talked about what it meant. What, what does it mean now? Because no one had done this before. So what does it mean now? Where does this leave us? Are we, are we still going to survive? We stepped that process out for everyone. We made it very clear on what we're doing to make sure autism is Zealand and one still survive. Which was a real risk to start with, and two, um, what mentally working from home, and one, both from an actual okay, let's get back in there and, and make sure our service can get delivered, versus people's health and well-being, and, and we step that out for everybody really, really clearly, and, and that's what is quite effective with our community.
1: Guys, it's been a really constructive uh, and positive conversation so far, which I'm sure a lot of employers and employees will have found very useful. So I want to thank you for that. And Dane, I wonder if perhaps we might continue that sort of um, upbeat note, but just wonder what reasons for optimism you see for, you know, the autistic community in the jobs market now and in the years to come.
0: Yeah, we are very optimistic. So it's, it's actually a big part of what we do now, particularly in Auckland and Wellington, we were the first I'll say disability and inverted commas specific employment program that's been funded by Ministry of Social Development. I still think we're the only one. I could be wrong in that. And we've placed upwards of, I think it's about 80 people in employment over five years. So that's 80 autistic adults. And we're massively proud of that, number one. And number two, we've got about an 80% stickability rate, which is pretty awesome. And, um you know, we're, we're so proud of Our team up here in Auckland, up there in Auckland, and the team here in Wellington with what we are doing in this space. So that's the first thing. So that makes me optimistic. That stickability rate is what makes me optimistic because that means that both the employee and the employer have, have got to a point where they understand each other really well and have got the environment right. So that's really cool. So, what we've been able to help people with is give our autistic community a sense of self worth and a living. And obviously, the employers like it because they've got a really loyal employee. The other part that I find that challenged our own assumptions here, and we're going back to assumptions a little bit, but the first person we placed in employment went into fashion retail. And that blew all our minds because fashion retail's century overload, central noise, people, lights, music everywhere, you know, I'd hate it there. But, um, you know, this particular lady loved it and that's where she wanted to go. So she's still there now as I understood it. She started on a few hours a week and and as time, as she gradually progressed to more and more hours and, and as I understand it, she's still there now. So those type of stories are what fills me with optimism. It's not just in IT and it's not just in the areas where people traditionally think autistic people should be employed. It's across the board. We don't really have... Granted, it probably is a little bit more um, skewed toward IT than most other sectors, but it's not significant. Like It's all over it's different sectors. It's everywhere. We've had people that wanted to become chefs, and we've got them into starting being kitchen hands, and then they've moved their way up to start to train to be a chef, those type of things. That kid will probably come on, go on to be one of the best chefs in New Zealand, I imagine, if he gets there. So that's what fills me with optimism as a starting point. But what really, really fills me with optimism is we're being approached now by really, really large organizations that really want to make a difference. And when we go to them and they come to us with those same misconceptions about autism, we go to them and say, no, 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 no. Look, we don't want the four people in the corner who are autistic. And that's our our autistic staff in the corner. What we're saying is those four people, five people, ten people should be scattered all around your organization. You know, that's how that is what success looks like. And and it's in frontline roles. It's in back office roles, it's in intelligence roles, it's in whatever roles we can think of um, that's appropriate for that person. And, and that's how we've been really, really successful with our employment programs. It's, it's focusing, and this is what I know that, what Grant, you guys do as well, right? It's it's focusing on the individual person, looking at what turns them on, looking at what gets them excited in a working environment and then finding a match with the right employer. And that's so exciting to be able to do that. And it's one of the coolest things we do as an organization, um, particularly as we get into adulthood, for our community um, to help them into employment, they've got the skills. They just need a little bit of help to navigate what a neurotypical process looks like.
2: Look, when I when I consider that. You know what's what's exciting about it, or why is it? Why should we be optimistic about the conversation? Well, the conversation is just getting bigger, um, and, and this is a global phenomenon. As in, we've, you mentioned like tech industry, etc. But yeah, there's some the largest blue chip companies. You know, your Microsofts, your Google's, HSBC. You know, EY creates a lot of literature on the subject. There's just more of a conversation happening, and it's and it's not charity. As and I think again, it's it's centered around well, what value uh, individuals. You know, who might have autism can bring can bring to the table Um, so it's a value add Um, again it's not a charity so so that's great and you know as in 15 years ago when i started recruitment or thereabouts as in it it just wasn't talked about you know even probably even just diversity and inclusion was an up-and-coming subject but neurodiversity just wasn't talked about at all and then it's only been probably you know five or more years ago then it started to become more more in the center uh, which is exciting
0: just to, just to um, back that up as well, I, I think we've tended to cater for those with a physical disability reasonably well because you can physically, yeah. and look, this isn't easy. I'm not, I'm not pretending this is easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. But you can see what you have to do to make that an accessible environment. With our autistic community and our neurodivergent community, you can't see. You can't physically look at somebody and say, this is what we need to do for this person. So it is creating a deeper understanding of that person and what's going to work for them. And, and to, to Grant's point, I think we've, we're now starting to touch touch the surfaces of that because people want to understand because one, we are living in a far more inclusive um, country and environment, and two, um, people are seeing the benefits of employing our, our uh, neurodivergent community. So we're seeing more and more of them coming to us asking for help, which, which I, I think is what fills me with positive energy and joy every day. The more we get that, the better.
1: One thing I did want to ask you, Dane, before we close is if anyone's listening to this and they want further guidance or or information on any of the issues that we've discussed today, is there anywhere in particular that you would direct them?
0: Yeah. So just go uh, onto our website, which is autismnz.org.nz, autismnz, one word, go to the meet the team area and um, look up Bronwyn, who's our Auckland support facilitator, or Megan, who's our Wellington employment support facilitator. Um, so they're our MSD-funded uh, programs, which is great. Um, if, you're, if you're at an organization level where you'd like to have a chat with, with me, you can either contact either of them or myself, and my details are on there as well. And, and let's just start the conversation. At the end of the day, that's sort of the key part, really. It's just starting the conversation. So there's, there is information up on our website. I do have to say there is a waitlist for our programs. Um, we're only funded to a certain amount, but we, have, we are definitely over-demand and under supply, um, and we're talking to the government about seeing how we can extend that potentially. Um, but look, definitely make contact. Uh, so there's two, there's two, there's two sort of strands we do. One is working with the individual employee and then trying to find a match with an employer, which is where Robert Walters et cetera have come in because you know what they're looking at is to see if any of these roles might actually be perfect for an autistic person. They might make contact with us, which is awesome. Versus working with a big organisation, so flipping it, on, flipping it on its head and saying, right, organisation X uh, wants to look at employing autistic people let's work with them it's a slight it's a different process because obviously we look at the whole organization and see how we make that inclusive um but that's sort of the two angles you can attack it at one here's a role we think an autistic person might be really good at this or if you're an autistic person listening to this or family far now please make contact and we can have a chat versus the whole the whole we want a whole program in place let's work on it together so there's two different ways we can kind of attack it
1: wonderful well dane thank you so much for your time today
0: Andy, thank you very much for having me here. Um, Grant, awesome to see you again, even if only virtually, and, and look forward to catching up with you again one day in person. And I just want to thank Robert Walters for their uh, work in this space as well. It's, it's really cool to be working with with an organisation that gets it and, and, and an organisation that wants to make a positive difference for both their um, employers on their books, but also potentially the autistic community. So I just want to thank you for that, Grant. It's great.
2: And thanks
1: also to you, Grant. Thanks for joining
2: us. Yeah, thanks, Andy, mate. And, and yeah, likewise, as, and it's very reciprocal. Dana's and um, Robert Walters is extremely proud to be partnered with Autism New Zealand um, for a cause and, you know, a program that's actually making a difference.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode, which is part of Robert Walters' mini series Tackling Diversity, Inclusion and Equity from Numerous Perspectives. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can subscribe to our channel and listen to our other Talent Talks episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.